Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you out on a what's becoming a, a unique sunny day in Cork. Um, what a change from yesterday. Um, and what a change from last night. We stayed in Cove last night up on the hill, and uh, we didn't know it, but the power went out for a little while and came back on again. We were asleep, sound asleep, actually, so we never noticed. But uh, we're thankful for the Lord, uh, to the Lord, for what he's allowed us to do in these last couple of days. I want to thank those who were part of the organizing committee yesterday for the, the day away and for all the special things that took place and the games and the food and the fun and the fellowship. It was just a, a wonderful time to be together. Um, so thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. Um, and I do want to say thank you to giving us the opportunity of sharing the scriptures with you this morning. There's nothing more, more special. There's nothing, no more thrill than being able to share the word of God with God's people. Um, and I trust that this morning <clears throat> will be a blessing to you as we consider God's word once again. We started yesterday morning, we started in a series of messages uh, from Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. Um, we're looking at the, the walk statements uh, that Paul mentions in those chapters. There are five of them. We looked at two of them yesterday. We're only going to look at one today. I'll leave the other two for you to, to do, work on on your own. Uh, but this morning, as Danny read, thank you, Danny, for reading the scriptures. We're in chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 15 through 17 primarily. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15 and... Considering down through verse 17, before we do that, I just want to read a couple of, a, a few passages of the scriptures uh, from various places, and I want you to see if you can pick out out of those what each of those verses have in common with one another. So we'll start off in Job chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, and then we'll read a couple other verses from the book of Psalms. Job 9, 25 to 26 says, My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reeds, like an eagle swooping on the prey. Uh, Psalm 90, chapter 90, verses 5 and 6. You sweep them away as a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. And then later in Psalm 90, verse 10, The years of our lives are 70, and even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and they fly away. And then finally in Psalm 103, verses 14 through 16, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Before we consider what these verses have in common with let's just pause and, and thank the Lord for the opportunity of gathering around his word and ask him to teach us what he wants us to hear this morning. Father, we thank you for the, the privilege it is for, for we as your people to gather together. Lord, may we never take it lightly. May we never uh, treat it as, as a light thing. As we come together, Father, may our hearts be knitted together. May we, we seek to, to love you and, and love one another and submit ourselves to the, the, the word that we hear. 
that we would be submissive and obedient people to you and to your will. Father, help us as we approach your word this morning. It's yours. It's not ours. And we have no right to change it, to make it say what we'd like. But help us to deal with what it does say and what it does mean. And, Father, may we humbly adjust our lives to it. And we thank you that that's possible because of the spirit whom you've given. Lord, through him and through your word, teach us and mold us and shape us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what, what is it that these verses have in common? And, and what do they teach us about the nature and the quality of life? Uh, well, I, I picked out three things. Maybe, maybe you picked out other things. But life or our time is short. You notice the way that these, these authors uh, play, uh, describe our lives. It's like a, it's like a tale that is told. It, 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 it's gone and its place knows it no more in various other ways of describing life. It is a quick thing. You know, almost like a blink of an eye, like a snap of a finger, and it's, it's over. Now, m- many of us, when we were younger, we don't think about that aspect of life. We think that we have another 30, 40, 50, 60 years. When you get to this end of life, my end of life, there are more years behind me than there are in front of me. And I don't say that to be morbid, but that's just realistic. None of us are guaranteed the next breath, let alone the next day or year. But these verses teach us that life is short. And, and not only that, but time is ticking away. Not, it's, it's not only that it's short in its duration, but it's, it's fast-paced. And I just spoke for about 30 seconds, and those 30 seconds are gone. I'm never going to get them back again. You're never going to get them back again either. You have to listen to me for the next 20 or so. Um, so life is short, it's fleeting, and it goes by quickly. And that's the most precious resource any of us have. We, 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 we have jobs, we earn, earn a living, we uh, get a wage. Um, those are resources. But time is the most precious gift that we have, and it is the most unrenewable resource that we possess. Once it's gone, it can't be renewed, it's limited, and, and, and we can't get it back. So I want to ask you a question right at the outset of this morning. What are you doing with your time? What is it that you plan to do with the days that God has given to you? Whether those are many or whether those are few, what is it that you will do? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17 emphasize the importance of our time. Not just the time in which we live, but the time that has been allotted to us as individuals. And also the wisdom that's necessary for us to use that time in a way that will bring glory and praise to God. Uh, That's, I believe, Paul's purpose in sharing this portion of Scripture with us. It's one of those five walk statements that we had considered somewhat yesterday. Uh, You can find them uh, if you want to look at them uh, after the service this morning. The first of those is in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And there Paul encourages us. In fact, he commands us to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And we said yesterday that that really means, it implies that God wants our lives to balance the scales between who he has made us and what we do, between our calling and our conduct, or between our position in Christ and our practice, our, our life for him. Uh, the second of those walk statements is found in chapter 4, verses 17 and following, and there Paul encourages us, I should say commands us, to walk differently. We, have, we are new people, aren't we, in Christ? 
Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away; all things have become new. I look exactly now. Well, minus a little bit of hair that I that I did twenty years ago, maybe a little bit more round as well. So those things don't change, do they? Our appearance doesn't change all that much, but we have been made new in Christ. All things, Paul says, have passed away. All things have become new. Old things are gone. New things are here. So that's what Paul tells us that walk differently. We're new, and so our lives should look like that. Uh, the next of those walk statements is found in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, and we looked at that yesterday evening. Uh, there Paul commands us to walk lovingly. That the, the one overriding, identifying mark of the Christian's life is the life of love. And we owe that to one another. We are obligated to, to love one another in that way. And that's something that makes God happy. That's something that pleases God. It's a, it's a savory aroma to God. It smells good to him. The, the next walk statement is in chapter 5, verses 7 to 14. There Paul tells us that we are to walk as children of light. And the emphasis there is that our lives should be like a light set on a hill that both attracts people to it from a dark world, but also exposes the darkness around us for what it really is. That's, our life should be like that. And then this morning we're going to look at the last of those five statements here in chapter 5, verse 15. We are to walk wisely or to walk carefully. Uh, Paul begins that verse, verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Other translations, the New International Version put it this way, be very careful then how you live. The New American Standard Bible says, therefore, be careful how you walk. And that answers the question of what? What is it that God expects from us? What is it that God wants us to do? And again, we said that each of these walk statements begin with the word therefore, which is meant to make us stop for a moment, consider what we've already read, what we've already heard, what we've already studied, and then move on in light of that. So you kind of have to use your memory a little bit here. All of what Paul has said previous to this, starting in chapter 4, all the way through to where we are now, we are to remember that. And he says that we are to look. The word look simply means to, to, to look or to observe. And here the idea is to, to care, be careful or pay attention. Uh, we, we use that phrase in our own, lang- in our own language, don't we? You know, look out or be careful. That's the, that's the thrust of what Paul says here. Look out what you're doing. And, and he says walk or look carefully, accurately, precisely, exactly. The, this life that Paul is calling upon us, among other things, is a life that, deter- that demands careful and accurate attention. We can't walk through this life blindly or glibly or lightly. We are instructed to be careful, to be precise, to be exact in how we live. And that, that demands from us a careful, thoughtful approach to his word. We can't just open it up on a, on a, on a morning, read our, you know, our five-minute devotional, and put it away and walk through the rest of our day without any thought to that. This takes precision. This takes attention. That answers the question, how? How are we to do this? Or, or, sorry, what are we to do this? And then he goes on to say, in, in a contrast, in verses 15 and following, he says, walk carefully, not as unwise, but as wise. And that answers the question, 
How? How do we do that? How do we walk carefully? How do we look carefully at our lives and, and pay attention to them? Negatively, he says, not as fools. What is the one thing that is characteristic of the fool as Scripture reveals that to us? Well, Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We look at our world today and we see a foolish world, not because it's uneducated, not because it's unintelligent, but because it has made a choice. It has made a choice to reject the, realist, the, the reality of the existence of God. And much of the social problems that we see, much of the world conflict that we see is down to the fact that we have, as a society, as a world, we have rejected the reality of God, the existence of God. And when we do that, we have no, more, no moral footing to stand on. Everyone does what's right in his own eyes. If my right is stronger than your right, well, guess who wins? That's how our world operates. God calls that foolish. God talks about that in terms of one who has said in his heart, there is no God. Our world is, has, has done that by choice. They're living apart. They're not foolish because they're uneducated. They're foolish because of their unbelief. And Paul says that we're not to live like that. John MacArthur, uh, I turn to John MacArthur, one, because I have most of his commentaries, two, because I don't have a lot of other commentaries. But he wrote in his commentary on the book of Ephesians on this point. He says, the knowledge of the ungodly person, excuse me, the knowledge that the ungodly person hates is not practical, factual knowledge. On the contrary, he prides himself in how much he knows. Someone has estimated that if all of man's accumulated knowledge from the beginning of recorded history to 1845 were represented by one inch, what he learned from 1845 to 1945 would amount to three inches. And what he learned from 1945 until 1975 would represent the height of the Washington Monument. Since then, it has probably doubled. Few people, however, would argue that the incredible leap in scientific, technological, and other such knowledge has been paralleled by a corresponding drop in common sense wisdom, uh, not to mention spiritual or moral wisdom. If anything, man's understanding of what he is doing and why he is doing it seems to decrease as his practical knowledge increases. The more learned he becomes in that superficial kind of knowledge, the less he sees the need for the knowledge that comes only from God. The more educated we become, the less aware of God we become. That's his point. So he says we are not to live this life as foolish or as unwise, but as wise. That is, applying the information that we have with a biblical lens. That's the, the, the distinction between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is simply the collection of facts. And we gain that through various ways. But wisdom doesn't always come along with the facts. Wisdom is something that God gives. And that's a, a, a godly ability to see the world through his eyes and to appropriate the knowledge that we gain to live in a way that's pleasing to him. God's wisdom is essential for our Christian life. And God's wisdom teaches us three things. And I want to share those three things as we, we work our way through this passage. The first of the things that we see that wisdom teaches us here is that it teaches us our time and our opportunities are limited. Paul tells us in, the, in verse 16, he says, making the best use of the time. 
If you're carrying a New American Standard Bible, I don't know if any of you are, but they translate that same phrase as making the most of your time. The translators that translated that version seem to indicate that the, 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 knowledge, or the, the time that Paul is talking about is not time in general, but it's your personal time. That is, the days allotted to you. Moses said in Psalm 90, he asked God to teach us to number our days. The, the, the days that I personally have, the days that you personally have, not the days in which we live so much as my personal possession of time. And we are to make the most of it. The idea of, is to buy up the opportunities. To, to re, it's sometimes re, translated as redeem. We are to buy up our time. The opportunities that God presents to us, we are to take full advantage of them. And we are to live by them. So the first thing that time teaches us, or wisdom teaches us, is time is, is limited. Opportunities are limited. And we need to do the best we can to make advantage of them. The second thing that wisdom teaches us here as it applies to our, our living in our, in our world is that the days in which we live are evil. Paul goes on to say in these verses, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The reason we are to redeem or buy up or, or make every use of the time we have is because we live in an evil world. Ephesus, which is the city where the church is that Paul's writing to here, Ephesus was an evil and immoral city. Paganism, idolatry, and all kinds of sexual immorality was taking place all around this, this young church in Ephesus. And Paul's pointing out to them, which they know, and that's the same today, isn't it? Ephesus is no different from passage. Passage is no different from Cork. Yeah, there are some unique cultural things that, that are true to one village that may not be true to another. But essentially, our day is exactly like the day Paul describes here in Ephesus. So we are to, we are to live this way. We are to live in a careful, wise way because the days are evil. The days in which we live are evil. And finally, thirdly, it teaches us that God's will should be a priority. So Paul continues in verse 17. Therefore, again, stop, think a moment. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, don't be foolish. The thrust is really stop being foolish. Whatever it was true about the church in Ephesus here, Paul saw something or heard something about the church that caused him to say, stop. Stop being foolish. You're living life that ref reflects a foolish approach. Stop being foolish and instead concentrate on the will of the Lord. We, we have a, a number of churches in the States that have supported us over the years that we've been here in Ireland. And I can remember before we left to move here in 1989, one church in our local area, we were visiting the church and we were talking with a young lady uh, there at the time, and she, she came up to us after the service and said, you know, I'm, I'm really, I really want to know what the will of the Lord is for my life. So we spoke with her a little bit about how she might be able to find out what that might be. Uh, we left the church. We left to come here. We were here for four years. We returned to the States on our first trip back. We went to that same church. That same lady was in the church still. She came up to us after the, after the service and she said, I, I really want to know what the will of the Lord is. Uh, so we chatted again, suggested many of the same things that we had suggested to her four years earlier. 
And then, of course, we had to leave and go on to the next church, and we returned here to Ireland, and the next trip back, another two or three, four years later, guess who was in the church? The same lady. I really want to know what the will of the Lord is. She wanted to know, but she just wasn't doing anything about finding it. The Scriptures tell us in both general and specific ways what the will of the Lord is. Just consider some of these statements. And in a general sense, uh, God's will is that all men be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, that, that God is not pleased with people passing away and entering a Christless eternity. He sent his son. We preach the gospel about his son so that people would be saved. God wants people to be saved. That's God's will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse, 13, verse 3, rather. The will of the Lord is your, your sanctification. As a believer, God wants you to be set apart to him, and he's in the process of per performing that and producing that in you as you follow him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, submission to our government. We could add Romans to that as well. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, submission to your church elders is part of God's will for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 10, seem to indicate that suffering is a part of God's will for us. Who would have thought, who would have been looking for that as God's will? I'm not looking for it, but God seems to indicate that that's going to be a part of living for him in this world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, being thankful. That is the Lord's will for us. So that's his will in a very specific way. But as we begin to look more specifically into the scriptures, there are more specifics added to that. And some of those specifics are, are here in chapter 5 of, verse, of, of the book of Ephesians. As we, if we were to read on, and Danny read a few, more past, a few more verses past where we're going to stop here, chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, it's connected to chapter 5, verses 15 to 17 with, a, with an and, so the same context. Guess what God says, that we are to be, this part of his will specifically for you and for me as believers is to be filled with his spirit. The idea is to be controlled by the spirit of God, allowing the spirit of God to give direction and following that direction. We are to... Uh, submit ourselves to one another. All of us owe that to each other as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You submit yourself to me and I submit myself to you. And together we are submissive not only to each other but to the Lord because that's part of his will for us. Husbands, we are to be living in a, in a sacrificial love toward our wives. Wives are to be living in a, in, in a submissive way to their husbands. Obey, children are to be obedient to their, their fathers and their mothers. Uh, fathers and mothers, parents are to be gently, gently nurturing their children. Uh, workers are to be obedient to their employers. Employers are to be gentle, kind, generous to their employees. All of us, in chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, all of us are to be prepared for the battle by putting on the armor of God. So there is a will of God, not just a will in general, but there is a specific will, a specific will that has been mapped out for you personally from the Lord. And it's our duty to find out what that is and to follow it. So in conclusion, God calls us to look carefully how we live, to pay attention, be precise in the way that we live, walk wisely, walk carefully our lives. Why? Because the opportunities are limited. And it really does matter what I do now. It matters now, later. So the choices I'm making today matter not just tomorrow, 
but in the years to come. Because the days are evil. What I'm doing right now is important because the days are evil. I need to live in a way that exposes that evil and draws people's attention to the Savior who loves me. And then finally, I'm to live this wise, careful life because God's will is important and it needs to be discovered and it needs to be lived out. Those are the things that are the wisest things that any of us can do. I said earlier that none of us are guaranteed even the next breath, let alone the day or the week or the year ahead. And we can see evil all around us. And sometimes we get a glimpse of that same evil in our own hearts. But God has promised wisdom from his word. And he provides that wisdom. And as we appropriate that wisdom, as we gather that wisdom and apply it to the specifics of our daily lives, we can live a careful, wise life. Let's commit today, together, to living wise lives, to pursuing not only the, 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 the knowledge that comes from the Scriptures, but asking God to make us wise as we apply that knowledge in the choices that we make starting right this very day and into the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity of being together this morning and over these, this, this last day. We thank you that you are a giving God. You don't withhold things from those that you love. You provided us with all things that we need to live a life of godliness. That provision is made through the knowledge of your Son, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, may that be the pursuit of our heart. May that be the goal, the aspiration of our lives, to know him. As Paul said, to know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, that we might be made conformable to his death. Father, help us to, to eagerly and actively seek that wisdom. And when we find it, may we live it out. And as a result, Father, may people be attracted to you. Lord, bless us as we continue to worship and fellowship with one another and around your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.